0: Welcome inside the Legends Legends Lounge, Lounge.
1: where baseball
0: VIPs are hanging out
1: and talking about their life in the game. Oh, we've got one I've been looking forward to for a while. Wade Boggs, the entertainment superstar, obviously the baseball legend as well but i really appreciate guys that put themselves out there you see him on tv shows the 80s 90s 2000s and he likes that stuff so we'll get into it among other things what do you got on wade Boggs? one of my all-time favorites man in fact uh, of the top
2: favorites list of planning to interview we've already had a few of my faves with chipper sweet lou chef straw uh this one falls in there not only an old old friend of mine here in the tampa bay area beloved son of Tampa Bay, but a guy, as you said, who is so diverse. He's kind of like a renaissance man. I'm looking forward to hearing from him.
1: Yeah. Same here. A lot of stories, a lot of superstition, which makes him, I think, appeal to a much wider audience. So we got to get an update on that. Wade Boggs time. Hall of Famer passing through the lounge, you've got a Mr. 3000, career 328 hitter, on-base percentage, well past 412-time All-Stars, could t- take a minute, oh, so brace yourself. Two-time Gold Glover, five-time male. <laughs> yeah. This is going and, to take a maybe, minute. Yeah, and maybe most pressures, which I'm, I'm curious, but, you know, the, the 1996 World Series Ring 2 is there with the dominant Yankees club, so, Wade Boggs, awesome to have you inside the lounge. How's life, Wade? Great, Scott. How are you? Nice to see
2: you there. Oh. Buddy. Hey, man. Thank you for coming aboard. Sure. It um, was yeah. great to, to see you. you got, got to spend some time with you just recently. We'll talk about that. But, um, you know, I, I, Scotty, very few people, you know, personify the game as much as Wade does. I mean, uh, um, recently uh, I introduced him, at, at, and we'll talk about that later on when we get a chance. Uh, I introduced Wade this way. In the last 30 years, in my book, my estimate, and I think many, many others, there's only been five pure batsmiths, and they all go by one name, almost like Bono Cher Cher or Michael, uh, and that's Tony, Albert, Miggy, Itro, and Wade. And and you know, you know who you're talking about. And um, and it's one of the greatest sitters of the game's I've ever seen uh, and a competitor um wade um starting right off the bat i mean how you doing and uh you know what, what's uh, been going on lately in life
0: well i'm i'm retired and taking care of grandbabies that's full-time occupation when you when you have nine of them so um and i retired uh, a couple years ago from uh, high school baseball i was coaching over here in wharton and new tampa and and uh so that's left a somewhat of a void. So now I've got to get back out on the water and maybe catch some more fish and, and, uh, shoot some more, uh, of the, uh, tryout. (laughs) Wade, how
1: do you have, how much interaction, if any, do you have, of course, I know you have former teammates and alums, but, um, anything with, with even current players as well about, you know, advice or people that ever get connected to you that are excited to talk to you or, to meet you you know the uh the baseball community where you know i'll come across players and and say hey like who are some of your favorites that you watched growing up and obviously your name comes up um so just curious if how often that happens if there's any you know recent stories even if it's in the past whatever 5 10 years that someone has gotten connected to you and
0: been like yo just tell me how you did what you did <laughs> Well, I I I love to talk about hitting. That's that's one of the 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 great things. And and I've sort of uh within within probably the last five or six years, um organizations don't like former players talking to young players for some reason. I've I've not figured that out. Hmm. Um I I saw, you know, I saw Derek Jeter get rid of Tony Perez and Andre Dawson uh when Derek took over for the Marlins. And it's uh, and other other clubs have policies to where they won't let former big league players in the clubhouse and after the game, and it's it's really strange. And but there are some organizations that invite players back for, for spring training and and various Hall of Famers that go back for spring training. But um, yeah, if, if the thing about it is nowadays when they when they teach this new type of hitting. Uh, mm-hmm. that that with the launch angle and all of that they 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 kind of don't want you to muddy up the water and start talking about staying inside the baseball keeping your hands above the baseball and and doing it the way that that Tony and Ichiro and myself and various other players used to hit so it's a, a different philosophy nowadays that that goes on between uh front offices a um, majority of the front offices are are guys that went to Harvard and 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 sort of teach numbers rather than uh, than technique. But um, I I just re upted my uh, contract with the Red Sox, so I'll be around the Red Sox five more years. And and we just signed uh, Rafael Devers to uh, to a huge contract, and and I think that was the, the first start that the Red Sox needed to uh, to take in order to sort of get back on that winning track.
2: Well, listen, that, that is the team that, you know, Hall of Fame chose for you to, to don the cap of the Boston Red Sox. And I, and, and I know you're, you know, proud of being a Hall of Famer and proud to wear all, you know, the, the three hats that you wore, including the Yankees and, and, the, and the, and the the hometown double Rays. going to get to that in a minute, but I want to kind of reel it all the way back. It's interesting. So you're talking about coaching. Um, and I know your father Winfield was very uh, influential with you. Get, take us back to, you know, Nebraska, and then getting to Tampa, and how it was, you know, Wade as a young young uh, boy, and and even you know playing in high school and and in your sports.
0: Well, actually, I was almost born in Puerto Rico, so I was gonna how be, about that? Uh, I, I, I was going to be a. Uh, a native you do Puerto look a little Puerto Rican, so I, I though, could, by the way. you I do I look. I could a go little. back and, and play as a native, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I was a 10-month baby. My dad was stationed in Nebraska, and and he had uh, papers to go to Ramey Air Force Base in Puerto Rico, and I wasn't born yet, so we had to wait until I was born in order to go ahead and go to Puerto Rico, so I spent the first three and a half years of my life in Puerto Rico, so then uh, he got transferred to Savannah, and we moved to Georgia for eight years, and and then eventually moved to Tampa, and where I went on to to play at Plant High School, and then got drafted by the Red Sox in '76. But um, yeah, that that uh, my dad was my my mentor, my coach all the way through uh, senior league and and even even in the minor leagues, I'd, I'd call him a couple times a week, and and all he wanted to know was was what my outs were. He didn't care about the hits. I, I said, that? yeah, last night. But- I went two for four. He goes, what were your outs? And he really wanted to know what the outs were and didn't really care about the hits. And he stayed that way forever. And and even when I got to Boston, him and Ted Williams are sitting in the dugout talking, hitting. And, and it's just the, the wow. greatest picture that I have. And at, at 7.30 in the morning, my dad's sitting in the uh, dugout with Ted Williams talking, hitting. And it was just right now, it just gives me goosebumps just to think about that. But my dad was, was very knowledgeable about hitting and, and taught me basically the Charlie Lau theory, uh, which is uh, stay inside the baseball and the wait, wait. And uh, so then that, that played right into my hand when I got drafted by the Red Sox with Fenway Park, having the, the green monster in left field, because all I'd done through five and a half years of minor leagues is hit the ball to left field. And now I just needed to get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and I could reach the wall without any problem so that was that was the deal when when i was invited just actually i went to puerto rico in 81 after uh, my AAA season when i won a batting title in AAA and didn't get called up to the big leagues so i went to puerto rico wound up hitting 379 in puerto rico and was added to the 40-man roster and my dad i never forget it on december 15th i called home and my dad said uh Hey, you added the forty men roster, and I went. What is that? Because <laughs> five and a half years in minor leagues, I had no idea what that was. And and he says, uh, "There's forty players. They take to spring training, and you're one of them." And I went, "Oh, that's great." So I went to spring training in '82, and eventually, at the end of spring training, wound up making the ball club in '82 and went north with the club.
2: And I want to ask you before we and and, and tell me the story because you've told it to me before. I find it. You know, because you had, obviously, at that time, Carney Lansford was the third baseman. Right. You know, a pretty good right. He darn had won the batting player. title
0: in 81. He had right. won, the batting, had won time. the batting title in 81.
2: Because, you know, when people look at your career, the 30, 10, 3,000, 10 hits, you know, it was almost like five and a half years in the minor leagues. You know, and, and and I love how you explained, like, listen, I had to fight through that. and But once you got there, and, and it was due to, what, an injury, I, I believe? And and you get the opportunity, and, and it was all she wrote.
0: Carney. Right. Carney Lansford slid into Lance Parrish on a Saturday day game, broke his ankle. And wow, here we go. I get to, I'm thrusted into not being the backup anymore. So he's out six to eight weeks at least with a broken ankle. And now I'm the main go-to guy. So um, yeah, that was, that was, that was kind of crazy. And, and because uh, Carney had won the batting title in 81 and I was just the pinch hitter backup, maybe, throw me in the outfield kind of thing maybe play me at first or or what have you but um yeah it was that was the uh the big break no pun intended that uh, that <laughs> right. I needed to uh in order to play every day
1: I'm fascinated by the outs part of this conversation too from your father so I'm assuming of course especially given your credentials if any of those outs were strikeouts obviously that was like the devil in the conversation but on the other end was he a fan of, hey, one of my outs tonight was, you know, a line drive diving catch by whatever, you know, Andrew Jones or something like that, where it was like, okay, so, you know, all of your, you know, you had two hits, but also your two outs were very productive outs. Or, yeah, I drove in a guy with a sack fly. Like, what was the next layer of that out conversation?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. You would, you would dissect where the ball went naturally, where the ball went, what, uh, what, what the guy did, did he run it? What, was he running it down in the gap and caught it? Uh, was it a looping line drive to uh, left field that he caught uh, with right to left spin, uh, causing my hands to come too far inside the baseball? So he was breaking down how the ball was spinning as it was going off my bat. So, and was he saying, was it a deep fly ball that had carry? Um, if not, uh, you're too far in front you're getting too far on your front side if you're uh popping the ball up uh to the outfield uh you gotta keep your weight back just a little bit longer um yeah i didn't i didn't strike out a whole lot so that was kind of the great part of the conversation he didn't really have to worry about me striking out but uh, the the biggest thing was was uh little loopy fly balls that he knew i was getting to my front side too soon and telling me to keep my hands back and keep my weight back until I made contact.
2: You're going to love this. So because you played with 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 uh, Marty Barrett. Right. Right. Remember. Yeah. Right. And, and so I the played hidden, with Tommy.
0: ball trick artist.
2: Yes. I played with Tommy Barrett, who arguably was a better hitter than Marty. Marty was just a better all around baseball player. But Tommy Barrett was was he finally got up to big leagues for a little bit and had you know a few years. He. This is what Tommy would do. It's interesting to talk about calling your dad, Winfield. Uh And this was obviously, got, hey, this is you know pre-cellular phone, right? So you're oh, calling yeah. from a yeah. ho- hotel, phone your phone, phone booth, booth, wherever you're at at yeah. a ballpark, and you know because the, the the clubhouses would have a phone booth or something, and you'd make a collect call Put a or collect.
0: Yeah,
2: right? exactly. Well, this yeah. is what Tommy would do. He would call his parents like once a weekend. They would recap with his dad, but every night he would call collect and they would have a code to let him know what he, how many hits he had. So he would call collect and he'd go uh, a collect call from T Barrett. And then that meant that he had two hits. Collect call from Tommy. That meant he had three hits. Collect call, and wow. then we went over. That's what they did. I would go like, "You're on the phone." Go, yeah, I'm letting my my, par- my parents know how I did tonight. That was pre- um, that goes to show you pre cell uh, phone and texting yeah. what we had to do. But yeah, you know uh, the influence of of your family. I know your mom passed away way too early in that accident, uh, and it was devastating for you. Uh, you know, and I remember hearing the story that after the '86 you you actually thought about leaving baseball i mean is that true i mean is that that, that was how devastating it was after you lost the world no, series?
0: I, I was in a bad i was in a bad place and, and be. because my, because um yeah that was that was a tough year i mean you know losing my mom losing the world series and all of that but but uh, um yeah i just um i had, I had my dad around a long a lot longer uh, he would come up during the season, and and that made it that made it more special that he would come up and and watch a lot of games rather than before and and travel around. But um, yeah, it was uh, not a good time and during that period. But uh, got out of it and and amen resurrected. Yeah, yeah, buddy, yeah, buddy. Glad you did. Wade,
1: was there anything that you turned to that really kind of? Obviously, you mentioned your father, but that that really kind of helped you. Um, uh, like were were there? I guess certain teammates that you did open up to, or any kind of practices that you kind of changed. Um, and and I know, hey, we can get into that for two minutes later too. But like you're a superstitious guy, so like anything routine oriented that you did, you know, differently during that time to get you through really difficult times from a personal standpoint.
0: Well, i had the great greatest corner man of, of all time and that was walt Reniac and ah. and i could i could confide in Walter um on a daily basis and we would just sit in the dugout and talk for for an hour hour and a half or, or what have you before stretching or, or what have you and, and and he was my outlet he really was and and he's he's such a such a, a, a tremendous asset that I had that that he was my sounding board and and he was he was always there to yell at you and that that was what I appreciated because um, you know a lot of guys get in the batting cage and take it for granted and and sort of uh, just go through the motions and I did I didn't want to present Walter with anything like that because he enjoyed watching me take batting practice because I would, I would execute various things during batting practice and other guys would get in and just go through the motions. And, and Walter, he, he, he didn't care for that. He, he thought that, that do your work, get it done and, and then prepare for the game. And, and that's basically what batting practice is and uh, is, is preparation for the game. And you, you make sure everything's clicking on all cylinders. And then uh, here comes the the hard part of of baseball, and that's the game. Uh, practice is easy if you if you go about it the right way. But uh, Walter was always there for me, and he's he's just such a a, a a wonderful mentor, a wonderful like I said, the greatest corner man you could ever have. I know Angelo Dun, Dundee is probably the greatest <laughs> corner man, but. Um, Walrinyak's the greatest corner man I've ever been around.
2: That's a great story, and and also from the Charlie Lau, you know, kind of tree or so of, of, of you know the concept of hitting. So so it was a very similar thing to what your dad and yeah that learned.
0: That, that sort of fit that fit the mold when I came up, and and I had the when I was a rookie in '82, I had the the distinction of of having to go in the batting cage at six fifteen every morning because you are the rookie. And so that was, that was, that, that was fine. And, and Walter, Walter said uh, about halfway through spring training, he said, few dare to be great. And I've always taken those words to heart. And, and to me, that was a challenge. And then eventually in 82 I at 349 and they traded Carney Lansford after the 80, uh, 82 season. And I was the starting third baseman in 83. And then 83, I wound up winning the batting title after Carney left. So um, great words of wisdom by Walter. Few dare to be great. And that was the uh, sort of the motivational when you look in the mirror kind of thing that, that you sit there and go, hey, there's a challenge right there. You
2: know, I am just want to jump into great left-handed hitters from your era of the mid 80s so we had just come out of the mid to late 70s uh and george was still around george brett you know was kind of on the tail end so to speak but he was still Carew. you know rod crew that's the other one those guys were kind of you know coming on of their latter part of their career while there was three mad great hitters that seemingly were just one upping each other in the mid 80s and that was wade boggs Tony Gwynn and Don Mattingly and, and Donnie later on, because of his back injuries, kind of, you know, fell short. And, you know, he's a guy that I think you would agree would have made it to the Hall of Fame had it not been for the serious back injuries. But I remember I was in that same era, man. So, you know, I was stuck in AAA and popping up to the Yanks for a minute, you know, and, and, and then finally gotten traded as a first baseman outfielder. With, with, you know, NDH, Tom Baylor, Dave Winfield, D- 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 Don Manningly. I wasn't going to be playing a whole lot, but I got to flap my right. wings later. But D- talk right. about the, the three of you, because it was very unique. As a former player in that era and, and knowing hitting, I, I was just dumbfounded uh, how your guys approach. And it was kind of similar, actually, all three of you, uh, in the sense that you would take the first pitch, you know, to, sometimes just take, not just the first pitch, first strike. You wait for a strike and then go, okay, now I'm ready to hit.
0: Well, when you, uh, George was a little bit more dynamic than I was. He was the home run power guy. Hitting yeah, no, I was talking
2: up. more about uh, Tony, you, and, and Donnie, because that was in that mid-80s. That was like
0: well, dramatic. Tony, Tony well, was, Tony was the mirror image of myself. Uh, Tony played 24-40. I played 24-39. Um, he had, I think, uh, almost 100 hits more than I did. I think I had about 400 more walks than he did, but um, Tony wasn't a walk guy and uh, he was more of a, he was more of a contact guy. And so he was the mirror image of the national league of what I was in the American yep. league. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, you know, coming off of, of the seven batting titles that Rod Carew had won uh, that, that was one of the guys that I knew every year going into the season that I'm going to be challenged by, Rod Carew, George Brett, Kirby Puckett, Paul Molitor, all these guys. And, and it was, in the senior circuit, it seemed like there was Tony Gwynn and then the middle of the pack were at 320 and right around in there. Um, we had a lot of high average guys in the American League for some odd reason. but uh, and, and Donnie completely revamped his whole swing once he started playing in Yankee stadium all the time, because Donnie was more of an inside out guy hitting the ball to left field. And then with the short porch and right field, he could elevate the ball. And then Donnie started turning on balls. And so it made it even more difficult to, uh, to pitch to Donnie and and eventually Donnie had won the batting title in 1984. But um, yeah, that was, you know, those are, three wonderful years that I had when I, when I played with Donnie in New York, 93, 94, 95. And uh, I I attribute the two gold gloves that I won to Donnie and uh, having a guy over at first base, it takes that one error a week away from you. It sort of plays with your psyche. It plays Mm -hmm. with your psyche. If you've you've got a guy over there and I, I, and I have Bill Buckner, I have Bill, Billy Buck. If you threw it anywhere around first base, he'd pick. And Mm -hmm. It was you know it was a shame with the with the play in the World Series but but uh, he was vastly underrated uh, for his defense he, he Billy Buck could pick but 20, uh, about when you talk when you talk he, about first basements they can pick though Donnie Donnie was the top Donnie the world, was though. the beast bro he was
2: the beast he I was. was I was the same era but I was in awe every spring training I'd be like dude and and we were great friends. Still still this day, and and he'd be like, man, I go like, dude, you're just ridiculous. You know, you just gotta appreciate greatness. And uh, you know, right. so exactly. um it's something else. Scotty, go ahead.
1: So, you know, it's it's funny you bring up a uh, Buck, um, because you know, within our baseball world, like for you, Wade, your credentials speak for themselves. Like if I, you know, if uh, if O and I were just given, hey, talk about Wade Box for 20 minutes. Our conversation is going to be much different than somebody that's a a casual baseball fan. I bring this up because, yeah, we we know how good of a baseball player Billy Buckner was. And he was a fantastic ball player. The casual audience, the general audience, of course, there's such a a moment in history that just is attached to him. So what I find interesting is, and, and I think for the most part, when you go over a conversation like that, it's usually on a positive light where it's here's a guy who played and whether he was a hall of famer or just a bench guy, like we know that person within our baseball community, but then there are very few that can get to this other level of being known by somebody in another country that doesn't even know anything about baseball. And I'm bringing this up, Wade, because of, of course, within the baseball world, you're a hall of famer, the, the whole nine yards. But if I like talk to a random person and bring your name up, there are, there are also parts and these are good things that can be brought up like oh that's one of the that's the guy that was superstitious and i saw him in you know the simpsons or always sunny in philadelphia all that right so (laughs) wondering on on that like take what'd you say
0: the renaissance man
1: the renaissance that's a great way to put it so that's why i'm curious what you know how often that gets brought up and what your thoughts are on like this other part of what makes you you and 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 what also in my mind is always great for baseball because it brings in others, right? Like the fact that we can have someone that has never watched a baseball game in their life. No. Isn't there a guy Wade Boggs who was superstitious and they know some of the stories about you. And to me, that's awesome for the game too.
0: Well, Scott, you have to understand there's 273 players in the uh, hall of fame. And I'm the only one with superstitious on his plaque. So that <laughs> has to seriously. <laughs> has to speak volumes about how personified my superstitions were, but getting back to walking through the airport, somebody randomly will come up to me and, and say, are you Wade Boggs? And I said, yeah. I said, Oh, I saw you in cheers. And they just walk away and they don't even know that I'm a baseball player. They just saw me on Cheers. or Hey, always sunny was my favorite. And, you did a great job. Uh, what other shows have you been on? And I'm going, uh, I was a baseball player and I go <laughs> baseball, but a, 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 a lot of people, I mean, I, I, I haven't ventured out, but I, I should start going to Comic-Cons to where I've <laughs> been on cool. Cheers and always yeah. sunny. And, and, and I mean, I've, I've been on quite a few shows and, and, and psych I've been on psych and, And I I love doing things in Hollywood and, and they're, they're really neat. And, and I got to do, uh, actually a movie in Louisiana. It's called Swamp Shark and I got to play deputy Stanley and there was Robert Davi, Chris, uh, uh, Christy, uh, D.B. Sweeney and, uh, um, Christy Swanson, I believe. And, and it was, and it was just, and Robert Davi, he was the, uh, he was the sheriff, but it was uh, a sci-fi thriller. I can't believe that I didn't get a, a, a runner up for a uh, supporting actor in it. But Should but have. Uh, I was not my element because the majority of the things that we do with, with Cheers and, and all of this, you play yourself. And then I now I got to put on a uniform and play somebody else. And I had to talk to Ron Guidry for like two or three weeks just to get that Cajun accent down. And that was that was probably the neatest part of it. So I'd I'd call Ron Guidry for an hour and just listen to him talk.
2: Cajun, the raging Cajun, Louisiana Lightning. By the way, Psych, there one of my go. favorites, and I know that episode because I'm a big, big Psych fan. in every single episode, probably three times. Dead Man's uh, Curve. Yeah, Dead Man's Curve, and uh, come on, come on, son, uh, from Gus. <laughs> I love that character, right. but I'm gonna go Psych there. on you right now because. I do want, and I, this is one thing I've known you for a long time and I've never asked you. Um, so 1986, you lose the world Series. New York city, then becomes the site of your greatest heartbreak in baseball, but also the site of your greatest success in baseball when you win a world series. So, I mean, talk about those two comparisons that are basically a decade apart. Um, how was that? And if I can slide in, no pun intended, of baseball, it was Boston to New York, dog. I mean, those are heated rivalries.
0: If you're going to do it, do it right. (laughs) Like Walt Riniak said, right? It takes, uh, what was it, to be great? I don't think anybody in Hollywood would have ever scripted me going from Boston to New York. Um, As well as fate has it, uh, if Mr. Jockey doesn't die um, in January of 92 i'm i'm a red sock for life because i was getting ready to sign a seven-year deal for 37 million and she slipped and fell in a tub in january of 92 and i went to spring training and they pulled the, the offer off the table so that was seven years and i would have been probably 39 at the end of that contract and with with lou gorman and and the the brain trust in boston they decided to uh, let me walk and and deal with Scott Cooper. And I was a free agent. So at the end of the 92 season, I had to find a job. And the Dodgers were the first to call, but uh, it was a year, and, uh, a year and an option. And then two days later, the Yankees called and offered me kind of what was a no-brainer to go to New York and it was, I I think it was a, a, a pet project of Mr. Steinbrenner to take me away from Boston and put me in New York (laughs) because, uh, at the time stick Michaels was the GM and Buck, uh, they weren't on, they weren't on board with me going there. And I had to win over not only stick, but Buck and go there and, and prove that, that I wasn't washed up and listening to all the writers say, Oh, he'll never hit in Yankee stadium. And, and so coincidentally, I spent all off season playing it low to left and high to right, which is completely opposite of Fenway Park. And so I had to revamp my swing and just change it all all around and wound up, wound up doing pretty darn good. And, and mm-hmm. we, put, we put together some really super teams. Actually, 94 was our best team that I had ever been on uh, in New York the five years that I was there. 94 we were just taking names and then we got uh, the Seattle freight train run through nice. us in 95. Mm-hmm. And that's when Donnie retired. So they had to fill the shoes of Donnie and, and that's where they, they signed Tino. So um, mm-hmm. when Tino came over, came over in 96, uh, it was, you know, we, we sort of kept our head above water and, and then we took off towards the middle of the season and, and, and then once we got to the playoff space in Baltimore and Texas and and eventually get into the World Series. But, um, yeah, we had some we had some super teams in, in, in New York. And, and then the dynasty really shot off with with uh, them winning four more in a row. So
1: question Wade I mean during that process you're talking about obviously it's so long ago at this point but like hey you know it happened were you really pissed at the time I mean obviously it was an unfortunate series of events um with the owner passing but um were you like what was that situation like in terms of did they just come to you and say hey that was that and now we're we're uh, moving in a different direction and also like did you have a little bit even if you didn't say much say in public like were you like hey these this this group offered me something they took it back and now ironically i'm with the yanks winning a world series like there had to be some going on in your head even if you know you're a good sport
0: about it well my agent alan nero was down there for the whole spring training and we negotiated for 35 days and we were meeting every day every and and getting together and and they wouldn't budge they a year and an option yeah and there was no long term and involved at all and then we were getting back to the fact that what about the seven years for 37 million and they go oh well that's off the table and i was going one of those and and naturally you're distraught so now having one of my worst seasons in 92 because I wanted to prove to them that I was going to make them um, regret, not giving me that contract. And it seemed like everything that I did, I did wrong. And then at the end of the season, I became a free agent. So it was, it, God works in mysterious ways. He really does. Oh, there's no doubt about it because I, again, the sight of, of, of,
2: of the loss in 86, in a in a seven game series, and then and then the sight of you, you know, on on a New York, uh, uh, mounty uh, horse riding. <laughs> I'm an honorary police
0: officer. You're an honorary. Give,
2: give us give us a real quick recap of of I know you've done it
0: many times,
2: but how that even came
0: about? I've never gone back and looked at the video. That's 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 the neat part about it is I don't want to know how I got on that horse. I don't know so we, you uh, just ended up on a horse. <laughs> I just ended up on a horse. I, I uh, actually, I walked, I walked in the eighth inning and Joe Torre pinch ran for me. And so Charlie Hayes comes in and he's playing third and we have one run lead or, or what have you. And, and there's two outs in the ninth. And I've been down that road before. Yeah. And it was totally eerie. So I, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the dugout, sitting next to Jimmy Key. And I've got a towel over my head. And I hear the crack of the bat. And I pull the towel over my head and look up. And the ball just barely makes it into the stands. And I went, oh, my God, that would have been so great if, if, it, if we caught it for the out in the World Series. And the very next pitch is the same exact ball, but it's fair. I mean, it's, it's in foul territory. And Charlie catches the ball and, and next it's, we're on a, just a dog pile and on the mound and I'm just hugging wetland and, and everybody's just screaming and shouting. And, and the fans were so wonderful. They, they stayed in their seat, which is totally abnormal for New York baseball. That they, they didn't charge and, and storm the field or, to grab somebody's hat or, or the base or rip up the field with the sod or, or what have you. They just stood in their seats and applauded. And, then we decided, hey, let's take a victory lap. Let's run around the stadium and wave to everybody and let's take a victory lap. Next thing I know, I'm on a horse in left center. <laughs> and have no idea how I got up on this police horse because I don't like horses. And, <laughs> and I was five years old when I was bitten in the back by a horse. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of horses. And I'm in left center riding around like Paul Revere with my finger up in the air saying we're number one. And the fans are just going nuts and they're just sitting in their seat applauding and 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 doing the number one back at me and all of that and and come around and and got off the horse and and went in. And, and then we had the, the giant celebration. But uh, uh, yeah, that was that was the, the 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 teary moments, because my dad was was there in 86 in uh, in Shea Stadium. And then he was in Yankee Stadium for the winter. So I, I poured champagne over my dad's head, and I said, it took 10 awesome. years, Dad, but we got back. And yeah. uh, he really enjoyed that.
2: So, by the way, you're riding a horse. You said it, it's a uh, Paul Revere knows Wade Revere, and the Yankees are coming. The Yankees are coming. <laughs> and you're coming from <laughs> yes. Boston. Yes, we well, were. How apropos is that? <laughs> you're talking Paul yes, Revere we and the famous bride. And it was hey, the Yankees. There you go. <laughs>
1: that's hilarious, bro. And it was organic, yeah. though, because oh, totally, couple... this wasn't planned. That's a no, that's a beauty. We've seen a of couple that. horse cameos since then, right? Like, didn't Bumgarner come out in a horse one of the years after? But that's like, right. you know, right? Yeah. But the next season, I think, when they were celebrating, something like that. But which is cool, and and Bumgarner's a, a postseason legend and all that. But they they put that together. This was like Wade's telling us, just like, and suddenly I'm on a horse. <laughs> So t- listen, we have a tie to
2: what? that. I'm, I'm going to tell you how we're tied to that. You getting on a horse, okay? Because in 1978, the Yankees won game five. Uh, let's see, three, four, and five in Yankee Stadium. I got tickets with my cousin behind home plate from my great uncle who always had Yankee tickets, great seats, and we watched. I was 15 years old, Wade, and in fact, wow. it was the series. 1978 and then you know later on I get drafted by the Yankee 81 and and finally I mean I was a Yankee coming out of the womb brother and and uh I I my parent you know we we came from Cuba and settled in Miami most of my family settled in Manhattan from Cuba you know all the Cubans in New York either New York or Miami so long story short what happened was I'm on the thing my cousin is the same age as It's a girl cousin the Yankees won game four and game five the famous games where Reggie does the hip thing right Oh yeah, Yeah. against the Dodgers. Dodgers. So they're going to Game Six and Seven. They're not coming back to New York. They end up winning Game Six and winning the World Series in '78. But the Yankee fans knew that this was the last game in Yankee Stadium, so they charged the field. Right? Oh yeah. And my my cousin goes, "Come on!" My girl cousin's just crazy, right? And she goes, and I'm like, no, no. And I jump on the field. I took a chunk of grass, and I kept that chunk of grass in my room in my parents' house for probably 20 years till my mom accidentally wow. threw it away. I wanted, to you know, like, mom. It was like tr- a trading card for me. You know what I mean? And the funny thing yeah. is that then from then on, whenever the Yankees made the playoffs, they added horses because crazy Yankee fans right. would run on the field. And right. so I helped you get on a horse by jumping there on the field go. when I was 15 years old. <laughs> I appreciate
1: that. You're welcome, buddy. I love you. <laughs> That's so, good. Um, hey, okay. So I got one more and then I will do his big thing yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to finish. So back back to, to superstitions for one moment. Cause like this is now post-playing sure. career, Wade. Are you still superstitious? Do you still have certain things that are a part of your routine every day? Like what's the Wade box post-playing career like? Well, thank
0: God my ADHD or whatever that's called, uh, (laughs) the uh, compulsive disorder or whatever. OCD. Clinically, right? OCD. Yeah. uh, yeah, Whatever. He's got all
2: all the monikers.
0: Uh, (laughs) I've got a lucky hat maybe that I have, I I use for fishing or something like that. As far as the chicken, I've cut back to about five days a week. I don't have to, (laughs) I don't have to eat it every day. So, and, and, but uh, I don't have to get dressed at the same time every day, and that that was there. I ha- I probably had in the neighborhood of seventy five to eighty superstitions that I had to go through during wow. the course of the day, in order. Oh yeah, it was it was extremely OCD, and but you know when you get to the yard about 1 o'clock, you got uh, until a night game. You got a lot of time to to kill, and the majority of it was being consumed by by taking your ground balls at the same time, uh, getting dressed at the same time. And so, yeah, I, I've, I've resigned to the fact, well, when I was coaching high school, I would make sure I had chicken on the days that we would play. Uh, not that it would rub off on any of the players or anything like that, but just sort of maybe bring some luck to the to the team. And, and but uh, yeah, it, it. I thank God that a majority of it my my it freed my brain up right
2: i tell you what but it led to 3,010 hits and before i ask you a no way jose question the three thousand hit um i was there um you know i retired in 97 and 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 walked into uh mr nomoli hiring me in the front office with the rays back then and and um and i just was you know, doing a little community stuff and getting to watch you and Freddie. Uh, having done that myself five years earlier with the Marlins, I knew how exciting it is to play for your hometown team. Walk us through the three thousandth hit being a home run, Boggs.
0: Well, we just we just come back from Seattle, and and I had got uh, I had gotten the uh, three ninety seven, so I needed three hits, and we had a, a weekend series with Cleveland. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And actually, Friday night, uh, my my son at the time, he was 13, right, 13, 14. He was the uh, bat boy. And so he I would let him pick out the bat and let him rub up the balls and various things like that. So Friday night, I was over 3 with a walk. And so everybody goes, well, he needs three more hits for the weekend. And, and Charlie Nagy's pitching. I'm 217 lifetime off to Charlie Nagy. So – going across the bridge and talking to my son. I said, "Uh, Brett, what do you think? Uh, I need three. He says, you get it tonight, Dad. And I went, I don't know. Charlie Nagy is pretty tough. And he said, no. He says, you're fine. So I get get the first knock. uh, Base hit in the hole at first. Man on first. Base hit. 29.98. Then come up against Nagy again. And 29.99. And I'm standing on first. And Jim Tomey's the first baseman. And he goes, Bogsy you live for this don't you he says this is the coolest thing i've ever seen and you can and when jimmy talks you can just hear that that country swagger that he's got And he goes bogsy this is the coolest thing i've ever seen and i said well it's going to get a little bit more cooler cuz i'm 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 going to do something special i said three thousands tonight I, I i got maybe two more at bats so i'm going to get it done tonight and I'll be darned, they brought in Chris Haney. And Larry Rothschild, the design was the manager, called me over to the dugout. And he said, wait, I'm going to pinch it for you. <laughs> and the look of my son's eyes were priceless. I mean, it was like deer in the headlight. He goes, oh, my God, you can't pitch it for my dad. And I said, no, Larry. I said, you're not going to pinch it for me right here. And then got to 2-2 with Chris Haney. He had spun a 1-2 curveball and then the next pitch was a 2-2 breaking ball and the minute I hit it I knew it was gone I didn't hit a lot of home runs but I knew it was gone and I said well I'm not getting that one back and high five Billy Hatcher and then round and first blew a kiss to my mom come back home and I'd stepped on home plate for so long and in 18 years I decided to kneel down and kiss it and so that was the all the drama that that came out with the with with the home run but it was uh it, it was an incredible night and uh, there were 43 43 and a half uh thousand at the trop just loud and and flash bulbs going off and it, it was a it was a spectacle.
2: Wow. Very well but I was reliving it man with you man. And you got the ball though. You got the ball back, didn't
0: you? Oh yeah, Mike Hogan. Uh he was in the outfield. Mike Hogan uh he works over here at USF. Uh caught it and brought it to the uh, clubhouse. Nice. And didn't want anything for it. He said, it looked better in your trophy case than it would yeah. mine. And double-raised, wound up giving him season tickets. And, and I gave him a jersey that I'd worn in the game and, and a couple game-used bats. And, but, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he didn't want anything for it. And, and till this day, we still stay in communication and all that. It's just a, a super gesture by a, a, a great man. I tell you what, Scotty B. I,
2: I, unless he wants to tell an, uh, another crazy that, that that I think there is no better, no way, Jose yeah. than that right there. <laughs> that is an yeah. incredible story with tight and bright. His son, holy cow, man, that's awesome, Boxy.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, guys.
1: Yeah, it has really. It's really great to, to catch up. We appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, keep enjoying life out there. And and I, I'm glad, like I know, just to put a bow on it. I, I'm glad that you are, like you said, free. Because I've dealt with some, honestly, maybe smaller scales. Most of these, and you know, I have in my family some of that as well. So, like That's to right. to not have to feel like you've got this like agenda and checklist that you have to do every day. It must be. It's, oh, yeah. it's a good yeah. next chapter in life. I like that. Yeah. His only problem is like when we do
2: work together in some show or something, if I'm parked in front of him and I'm always a slow cue, but if I haven't gotten out and he's trying to get home, that's the only <laughs> problem that he has with me. Uh, and, and, and by the way, uh, and he'll add to it. If you all get a chance, go on to the trial.com, which is a great show. That's going to come out in the spring that Wade and I are both in. It's about, uh well, tell them a little bit. Wait, real quick before we yeah go. finish
1: with that. I I don't know about
0: this. It it's uh sort of a brain trust of uh, uh a couple of guys that used to work for the Yankees and still do. Um, uh, Raina groan and and um, and Armando Armando uh, Gutierrez, mm-hmm. and yeah. they came up with this concept probably about five or six years ago and ran it by me. Said, "What about doing like an American Idol?" And you have guest judges and, and various things like that. And, and guys try out and the winner of the, the whole show gets a professional contract. And I went, yeah, I, I think it'll fly. And we filmed it here in Tampa, university of Tampa and, and surprised us. We had good players. We, we started out uh, and they're players from all over the United States. And, And we started out with about 25 and whittled them down to the, to the end. And it was, it was, in my opinion, an unbelievable show because it, it, it showcased a lot of their talent um, hitting, throwing, running. Guys that slipped through the um, crack
2: too. Guys that slipped through the crack, you know?
0: Exactly. And, and that was sort of your dreams can come true. And that was sort of the basis of the show is that, that, well, you didn't get a second chance and, and you were, you know, hurt your senior year in college or your senior year in high school. And now you've got a chance to make the best of it. And I don't want to give away the end of the show, but, uh, it was ex- extremely, extremely riveting in my opinion, uh, of how we got to the winner of the show. Yep. And, but it was, it was, um, it, it's it's well worth a look it really is and and we have we have visions of, of possibly going to japan and and doing it over there and and who knows multiple we seasons. might go to the dominican <laughs> multiple yeah. places and yeah. wherever the best fishing is we'll be there <laughs>
1: that's awesome
0: wait so where where uh, oh where is
1: it like where, where is it Do you know well it's, it's right now it's
2: being it's being shopped around there's a very very yeah. good chance it's gonna show end up on netflix uh, okay. that's not a hundred percent yet, but, uh, it's looking pretty darn good. And, um, and it'll be out definitely by the spring, you know, c- concurrently with, with the baseball right. season coming out. So yep. it's in post, it's in post-production right now. We filmed for about eight days and, uh, at, at the end. So Wade and I were like the main judges slash mentors. Cause that was the cool thing. I, I would say it'd be more like the voice if it was anything, you know what I mean? We were judges, but we were right. also mentoring right. these guys. And then in the end we bring in the last couple of days. We bring in big boys. We brought in Enos Cabell, you know, with the Houston Astros, one of their top executives, former great, and uh Brian Cashman, uh from the Yankees. Right. And they helped Those us guys solidify. Like the they 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 right. picked Those they signed. You know, I'll leave it at that because we don't want to give away the, you know, the the spoilers, so to speak. But it was more Boxy, right? More than I expected it was going to be. I'm gonna tell you that much.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it worked itself out in the beginning. It's, it kind of seemed, well, hokey that, okay, here's, here's people that, that it's, it's not a fantasy camp. I mean, these guys still have that dream of playing in the big leagues and, oh, you had that dream. I had that dream and they just needed a break. And we were, we were the facilitators of that break. And Wound up getting him a a minor league deal, so yeah, the winner got a minor league deal, and That's, now he's got to go prove us right.
2: Exactly,
0: through and not make well, we,
2: us look like if, dope. If, if if they get to make millions, we're getting fifty percent of their salary, right? Isn't something <laughs> like that? Wait, I think it was. Uh, we, I
0: think it was at least ten. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> five
0: for you and five for me.
1: Yeah, you're. I awesome, can't believe. Fuzzy. Oh, I can't believe we almost said goodbye on this interview, and you, like we we miss that i didn't know, yeah, you didn't I didn't know coming it, out that's awesome
2: it's coming up man we had yeah. a great time filming it and and bogsy was definitely the the star of uh of, of of the show as far as uh what's the guy on the he, he wasn't you know i wouldn't say simon cowell he was more like what what's the shelton i think he's more like the the guy on the voice that's the the lead dude
1: Blake shelton
2: yeah blake, blake shelton. shelton. i, I would yeah. think that bogsy's more like blake shelton that's man. a better
1: comp than I, I totally but anyway i think you'd probably yeah. take that you're bad. Yeah. I didn't have anything bad to say about these guys, and so it was, it was a good one. <laughs> well, that's all thanks, right. So
0: thanks, we'll look Wayne. Look forward to that. Thank you, Wayne. My My best
2: to Debbie, man. You're awesome, buddy. I Thank
0: will. You. Take care, guys.
1: Oh, I'm really glad from um, you know an OCD standpoint because that's that's a real thing a lot of people struggle with that on many fronts that that way <laughs> it's true able to shed a lot of the superstition that was getting in the way of his um, of his I don't want to say mental sanity but maybe that is what it is <laughs> right like there's right. there's more mental smoothness because I feel this too I, I can relate there's more mental smoothness when you just stop caring about certain things that technically don't matter. And we all know as, as superstitious as he was, and he was a stud player, if Wade wasn't superstitious, oh, he still would have been a stud. Aside from obviously putting in the time and the work probably. ethic and all that, if you're superstitious about that, that's different. But if he tied his shoes differently each day, he still would have been a stud. I believe in that.
2: I believe too. 30-10 would have showed up uh, uh, probably, you know, uh, give or take 10. But he would have been a 3,000 know, hit guy. He just was that pure, that awesome. But I'll tell you, if he was still playing right now, I bet you he'd still have these massive superstitions. So it just happens to be that he's no longer hitting up at the plate at Fenway and other parks or Yankee Stadium. So it's very curious. Uh, but he is such, what a great interview that was. And uh, what a fun guy
1: to talk and, and some other wonderful stories he brought to the, to the table, brother. Agree. Now another celebrity popping up, up for this week in baseball, Feb 12, 1999. So you go back to the nineties when the Padres signed a 37 year old country music singer in Garth Brooks. They brought him to spring training camp <laughs> as a non-roster player. And uh, he took some hacks, man. And he was going for it. Oh, he was serious. There's no doubt. I mean, uh, I think he
2: did this a couple of times and uh 99 might've been the first time, but, but um, he was serious. He's always been a mad baseball fan. And uh, speaking of Wade being on, you know, this is being Wade's episode. I'm sure they crossed paths. Wade's a huge country western guy, country music fan. So uh, probably, probably, uh, you know, maybe he called Wade and got some tips on, on hitting. But uh, I remember watching
1: him back in 99 and, and saying, he's this isn't a joke. He's out there for real, real oh, do players get pissed if there's a Garth Brooks or Tim Tebow or someone like that <laughs> popping up? Or is there a line? Like those guys at least were going, like, like they were trying. It wasn't like, you know, Will Farrell popping up for a day, which was only a day. And it was, a, I think, a lot of charity involved. And I I loved the entertainment factor that because like, let's not take spring training too seriously. And Will Farrell is, you want to talk icon, legend, all of that. So, but if a guy's like showing up and really going for it for multiple days and, you know, he hasn't necessarily earned that spot, would that rub players the wrong way? I think back in the day. Yes. I think nowadays, back, back, you know, like Russell Wilson in shows up and they're probably like, yo, this yeah. is awesome.
2: Russell Wilson yeah. for a few days. Uh, I would love to have Pat Mahomes, you know, show up at, at a spring training near you and near Hell us. Yeah. And, and, and then watch him just, you know, throw, throw a couple sliders sidearm, um, like, uh, <laughs> slick P, uh, was, was his dad. I think they call him slick P or slippery P or something like that. Uh, his dad, but uh senior, but the bottom line with that question is that it also depends on the greatness of the two things for me. It depended on how how huge the talent was, okay, so if it's a Uber talent like a Garth Brooks, you kind of go like, yeah, bring him on, man, I'd love to kind of be around this guy for a little bit. What a dynamic you know Uber generational talent. And then number two, if they're really like I played with some guys like for example Mark Mark Harmon. Uh, he and I won a home run hitting contest one time together in a charity event. And Mark Harmon's like a baller. You know, he was actually he's a good baseball player. You know, he couldn't have played double A AA or triple A, but probably could have hung in there in, in low A. And so then you appreciate that aspect of it. So, yeah, that would be my answer. Now, mid-levels, uh, nah, you know, you need to, you need to go
1: somewhere else. Yeah, if you're like, yo, I've got this random new show that popped up and I'm, you know, the <laughs> nah. fourth best actor on it and you don't know who I no, am but, and yeah, but know, I got a million followers on on here.
2: Instagram and stuff. Yeah, good for right. you. You got a bunch of followers, but no, that's uh, <laughs> I'm talking generational talent yes
1: so garth you're good
2: that's all we allow that's all we allow at the at at the baseball you know uh, legends lounge
1: bro right in a red carpet yeah the lounge is exclusive that is very true i mean look back at the names involved okay scroll through the list have fun with that wade boggs are awesome lounge closed The Legends Lounge podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at Legends Lounge at MLBPAA.com. Check out our memorabilia at MLAMAuthentics.com. Later, Legends. Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.